Welcome to Healthcare Happenings, a One Digital Employer Advisory Podcast. It's no secret that healthcare is complicated and to prepare for the road ahead, business leaders need transparency and access to information in order to develop the best health benefit strategy. Our team of compliance leaders are here to shed light on the latest developments on the Hill and share their collective vision for ways to improve the healthcare experience. Welcome, everybody. Um, we're back again to tackle this topic of well-being and well-being at work. Um, back are our regulars, Scott Wayne, Ron Bargassi, Samantha Malibur, and myself, Annette Bechtold, here to kind of delve through this topic. You know, we've in our drive to build a thriving culture and positively impact the quality of our lives and work, we've been discussing this idea of well-being. In prior sessions, we covered career well-being, which is the purpose or career for people, um, that what they're doing has meaning. We also talked about physical well-being, having really the energy to get these things done. So today we're going to pick up with the third element of well-being, and that is financial well-being. This is, it's it's not about being wealthy. What it is, although that's a nice thing, right? Um, but it's about managing your money well. So what does that really mean, managing your money well? And, you know, um, the first thing I'm going to throw out, so we're talking about money. So does money buy us happiness? And how does that translate to well-being? Well, clearly it, it can be a path to support your efforts in happiness. Uh, but as a means to itself, it's obviously not. Uh, and in fact, if you talk to a lot of people, the more they accumulate, uh, the more challenges they have because they have you know, more priorities to make and things like that. And they focus on the wrong things. All I can think of is more money, more problems. <laughs> yeah, more money, more problems. Yeah, that's true. You know, money's an outcome, right? Um, but if you protect it well and you use it well, it does. I mean, it does provide a lot more freedom and choice, right? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's funny. I was I was watching a um, I was watching an interview about a year ago of uh, of somebody who was a, uh, a a financial consultant, and the individual made a really good comment where they said, "There's two amounts of money: enough and not enough." And, and, and when, and when you get to the enough threshold that there are diminishing returns with the level of happiness that the money in and of itself will get you. But the argument that, that, that she was making that I, I actually really, uh, that really resonated with me was that we tend to frame money in its capacity to buy material things, but that if you refocus money as a conduit to have some level of freedom, Right. And some level of ability to, to live the life that you want to live and to accumulate experiences. To Ron's point, it can serve as a very powerful pathway to do some things that might make you happy. But money in and of itself is the end is once you hit that amount where you can pay your bills, where you can take care of your family, that, right. that what you get above and beyond that is, is going to be is going to have some level of diminishing returns. Clearly, we probably all been in a situation where you've had no money and whether we and then we've had money and we've always said, you know, having it's a lot better than not having it. But again, I like that, Scott, about there, there's a threshold at which it becomes a means in itself. And for some people that I know, it becomes a, a measurement of success and it's a very shallow measurement. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny when we look back, my wife and I often talk about uh, when we, before we bought our house and we lived in a, a, in a little one bedroom apartment in a town outside of Philadelphia. And we say that, that those are some of the happiest days of our lives um, where, where, you know, we were paying low rent, we had low expenses, we had, you know, we were able to go on, on, on trips and then, and then, you know, wanting to start a family necessitated us trying to having to accumulate more money but then once you can do that and then you buy the house there is you hit a threshold and it's like okay well i i feel we feel comfortable but we miss the days of the simpler times where we're earning less money you know so it's 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 not it's not always as clear cut you know as uh as the, the sam's the sam's comment more, more money more problems you know <laughs> so. well and then if you try to define the threshold you know I, I think the threshold probably is where we can stop doing for ourselves and start doing for others yeah, that's uh, and you know what? That's a huge thing because you look at uh, a number of people who are service oriented, right? That's the outcome. And the money that they might have is the means to do those good works or whatever. And there's a lot of gratitude that comes from that. I mean, um, hoarding your money for you um, for most people doesn't bring with it as much gratification as it does in doing something with it. That's beneficial, whether it's for your family, for your children, for people in the community, what have you having that wherewithal to help others, I think is a, it's a huge part of that financial well being. you know? But, but of course, if we look at today's reality, yeah, you know, those are sort of esoteric concepts for probably sure. 75, 90% of the population. And that's where it gets really tough for me. Yeah, to, to, to that point, it's a large, you know, if that threshold is enough versus not enough, there are, there's a huge segment of the population that's not at the enough stage yet. Yeah, I, I was looking at this one Gallup study that said um, 45% of Americans agree or strongly agree that they, they live paycheck to paycheck. So in thinking about that, you know, um, and, and for employers, think about their employees, um, you know, those in that bucket are tr- more troubled by their finances and they're twice as likely, interestingly enough, to be in poor health uh, than people who say they're, they have no financial worries. So, uh-huh. and, and the stress levels we talked about in the career piece, too, I'm sure I play a factor in that also. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's hard to put, it's hard to put in the perspective of what it's like to to have a successful week, a week where you get your bills paid, and and if you're an employer, uh, we've talked about this before. What I struggle with the most, and and what a lot of my clients struggle with, is things like how do you support the longer term for those individuals, and the four hundred one k is the perfect example. Do we match 50% at 50 cents on the first dollar and maybe have them have some small cushion for an emergency or for those who may be able to accumulate enough in a 401k, do we then match $2 for every dollar or whatever so that they have an opportunity to accumulate? So it's a tough, tough decision to figure out how do you really support that portion of the population best. 
Yeah, I was thinking about, um, you know, as you were talking about this savings, it was it shades back to being in my first little one bedroom apartment, laying on the floor crying because I couldn't figure out how to, how to make the bills and the money work. Right. And then you fast forward in your life and through all these seasons, as, as Scott, you're talking about and the different places that you're at. And but you're right. Some of those simpler times are great, but not so great if you can't make ends meet. Right. But then, yeah, your your point about the 401k. I mean, for somebody who, who doesn't have extra expendable income, like they're just trying to make their necessary bills, what? how does that help retain employees? Or how does, you know, so I think there's something to be said about that. You know, and we were looking at, um, you know, we were talking about the kind of the great resignation, all these people moving and, um, and of course, now it being really an employee's market, right? So you're seeing a lot of people shifting and moving, et cetera. So I thought there were some really interesting statistics in here about why people change jobs and, um, you know, is income in? Well, it can be, you know, if it's more than 20% increase, I mean, that's hard to, to bypass, right? Um, and that's sort of... Uh, where are you kind of looking at? If you if you have disengaged workers, they'll leave for anything. It doesn't even have to, it can be lateral with no increase, right? If they're not engaged, they don't enjoy being there. They the workload's too heavy. There's not, there's no good trade-off for them, they'll leave for anything. Um, but really engaged people, yeah, about 20, it's around that 20, 25% mark that you're just like, well, it's stupid to stay. Like the trade-off is good, you know. What do you guys think about that? You know, I'm beginning to wonder if uh, how important the money is at all, Uh, because if you start taking into consideration some of the subsidies people get, they they begin to lose those as their income increases. So so I think maybe there's more weighting on the enjoyable environment and and being present that there may be on some of the financials at those levels, uh, you know, and, and that, that's an anecdotal thought on my part. It's not anything that's scientifically based, that's for sure. But I, I really do begin to wonder if, if that is a motivating factor at all. Yeah, I, I think a lot of a lot of managers like to think it is because it explains away. Oh, this per- this great person left. Oh, it must be for money. Like that's an easier rather than kind of looking internally and saying, what could we have done differently? You know, why would this person want to even leave us? You know, I think you just hit the nail right on the head in that. I think that and Ron, you made the point earlier that it's a shallow marker of success and the accumulation of, of, of financial wealth, um, while it can be a heavily correlated uh, indicator of some level of success. It's a shallow, it, it can be, it doesn't tell the whole story. And, um, and I, and again, I think that, that the, 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 the inclination is for us to immediately put our minds at, at, at thinking about the most difficult and challenging populations to manage. And, yeah. it, it, and look, it, it, people making less than 20 bucks an hour in this country are going to have a hard time. And there are some very serious conversations that need to occur about where value sits and in, in managing that population. But put that population aside, I know it's a substantial population. When you think about people who are earning, you know, a living wage, um, they're still less likely to leave 
for just for, for that, that pay increase if the engagement level, to your point, Annette, is really high. Um, yeah. and, and that engagement level and that, and that well-being score at the job site can really fend off um, just, a, just a shallow pay increase. And, uh, and, and you talk to people, you talk to people who, who, who jump for that shallow pay increase and they jump into a situation that's worse. Unfortunately, they realize it after the fact. Uh, they realize, oh, you know, I actually did enjoy my, my previous job. Yeah. But I think, I think you're right that, that, that the excuse that it was just that extra 10% or 20% um, without looking deeper into what, what was that actual experience like for that employee at work. Um, it's probably a, probably not a complete analysis. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that, Scott. I mean, I know kind of even personally and then from others, you know, people will take a pay cut to go find a better, you know, environment to work in. I mean, if there's no growth potentially, you know, if you can see yourself growing in a different role or a different company, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to take one step back, two steps back to slingshot, you know, going forward. It, there's a bigger picture than just kind of the dollar amount um, coming in on that paycheck, you know, it's really, again, like we've all been talking in the other episodes, but kind of that well-being, can we enjoy our day-to-day life? Do we enjoy what we do every day? Are we seeing growth in ourselves? So it's not just solely that dollar amount that's probably sitting in someone's bank account. Now, with, with that said, I think we've got to recognize there are certain professional categories where the antithesis may be true. I mean, if, if you're a nurse and you can be a nurse for you know, $25 an hour, you can be a nurse for $20 an hour, <laughs> then you, you're probably going to choose the $25 an hour. Right. Yeah. So that you're right. It's a, those circumstances come into play, Ron. Um, but Sam, I do agree. Like some, at some point, there's no amount of money you, that you'll be like, oh, this is a better situation for me, right? To your point, Scott, you look back at the simpler times and you're like, why didn't we appreciate that then? You know, um, you don't know how good you have it till you don't. To be clear, I, I love my life now too. Uh, it's just different. It's just very, it's just very different. Uh, I know. Uh, my, yeah, it's, it's a very different situation. But, but back then we felt like we had enough. And, 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 and everything above and beyond that was just gravy, but we felt like we had enough to live a fun life in our late twenties, early thirties. And then, you know, when you want to start a family and stuff, you have to kind of, kind of jump. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. So, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, um, I'd like to circle back. You talked about living wage. Um, I think that's probably one of the most uh, concerning problems coming forward is that there's a greater uh, a greater and greater and increasingly greater percent of the population who does not earn a living wage singly. They have to combine it with another person or two people to in order to you know be able to live. So that that I think that's probably first and foremost for employers is kind of categorizing these these different groups. Who's in your living wage category and who's not? Because I would I would venture to say those are two different financial consideration and solutions from an employer standpoint. Yeah, and I think that's that's the industry. Uh, yeah you know that that you that you're in so if you're in the food industry you're probably dealing with a much larger percentage of people that just barely being able to get by 
and literally can have to decide whether they can afford A or B in a given week and make that choice. Uh, we, we have clients who actually will alternate their children enrollment in healthcare every other year. One year they'll put one on oh. and the next year they'll put another one on. So, so it, it, what's really what's really fascinating is is the is is thinking about to what extent does the business model of paying below a living wage have sustainability over the next decade or so? You know, I, I work with a I work with a large manufacturing company in Central Pennsylvania. We work with a bunch of them, but in Central Pennsylvania, where um, the average they've had these employees for decades working for them in jobs that um, uh, you know a high school graduate, college graduate probably wouldn't take. Right, that it, it working positions that a college graduate likely wouldn't take if they invested in in going to college. Now we can have a discussion about value of college and all that type of stuff. Separate discussion for a separate day. But generally speaking, if you accept the premise that people go to college to earn more money, um, the, the the individuals that they currently employ that have been there for decades. Um, are not those folks, right? When you look at the high school graduation rates, and we try to show this to the client, when you look at the high school graduation rates in their county where they're located, in 1975 to 1985, the the high school graduation rate was somewhere around 60, 65%. It's now 95%. And then the college matriculation rate back in the, the, the 1970s and 80s was somewhere around 15 to 20 percent. And now it's north of 60 percent. I would read that as the clock is ticking regarding your your workforce. The clock is ticking because who are who when, when these employees who have been with you for decades retire? What where are you going to find the next the next round of employees to come in. And, um, and, and that leads to a consideration about what would it take to keep that running and keeping it an attractive place for somebody to continue to go work. And that's a hard question to answer, but you can tell that the, that the demographic has shifted heavily in that County to where you're going to see people who are not looking to work at that company. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking we, we've, you know, we've covered a lot of philosophical issues and, and issues that are true and challenges. And yet we have very few solutions. And and I think the one, though, that is compelling to me from what everybody said from Sam on is you've got to have an engaged employee. And, and if you don't start there, you're in a losing long term game with that individual employee. So all those other factors about what does it take from a pay standpoint, what does it take for a 401k, have little to no value if you don't have a, an engaged employee who feels like their environment is the right place for them to be. So at least we can advise employers to start with that kind of analysis. Yeah, I think the package, to your point, Ron, is thinking about what are the basics, you know, like as an employer, what are the basic must-have compensation things to compete for talent, right? So that's number one in whatever industry you're in. And, um, you know, what kind of uh, expectations do employees have for other things that you offer, you know, whether it's health insurance or or 401k or whatever. What expectations are out there, um, but big 
is the flexibility now. COVID's taught that for everybody, that flexibility and where I get to work, when I get to work and how I balance my life, it becomes a huge consideration. So if uh, you're an employer that's going back to the very strict, um, unless it's something where you can't do the job on site, right? Um, I think they'll have increasingly uh, difficult time, but thinking about the, that flexible time and locations and that kind of thing. And then incentives. What are the incentives? Um, if I work really, really hard and I don't get any more, anything more than I would have if I didn't work really, really hard or I'm being asked more, but there's no trade-off for that, that's when people start to be, to disengage, right? Um one of the things um, I was thinking about was this whole idea, and we always think about it with people who have uh, have extra money, like planning, financial planning, right? Well, I don't even have, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. But what are, isn't there value in helping somebody in that boat too? I think there's no question about that. And my experience has been with us trying to help people, giving them a hand up instead of a hand out. And the first thing we do is register to them with a uh, an advisor about setting their priorities and where they're spending their money and earning and understanding. You have a lot of people that do these payday loans and things like that that just eat up significant amounts in interest costs and things like that. So I think it's important to always uh, have good financial priorities and understand what the right options are versus the convenient options. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think they do a lot of it. Maybe they've changed it, but like going into high school, you know, teaching you how to like create a budget and actually sticking to the budget. What are your actual like goals and dreams? You know, actually like sitting down and reviewing what you've actually spent your money on. And I think, you know, even having debt and then seeing kind of the interest rate and like how much money you actually pay in interest. I mean, that's always an eye opener to me when I go in and say, if I don't like have enough money to pay this off, you know, they always just say, if you pay just the minimum, it takes you so many years to pay off this balance. But at that time, you're still going to be accruing to it. So it is, again, kind of that education. I don't think they do a lot of that when you're younger to be like, actually look at where your dollars are going and is, you know, that dollar, you know, what you're buying worth that amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely didn't resonate with me in 10th grade when they taught me the compound interest formula in math class, (laughs) just how important that formula is to understand. Um, Yeah. I think, I think we've probably mentioned this on previous podcasts, but one of the things that that we've we've considered lobbying for in the state of Pennsylvania when we do our lobbying, our policy lobbying on behalf of our industry is is, is requiring it to be a condition of for graduation to take a, cor- a year long course in financial uh, well-being, financial literacy. Now we probably call yeah. it financial well-being where you teach high school students these 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 issues that unless their parents teach them and 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 oh, very wow. few, very few people have myself included, I'd sprinkle me into this bucket, have, have a deep understanding of, of, of personal, uh, you know, uh, 300 level personal finance, but to, but to have that be a condition of graduation long-term from a policy perspective, I think would help advance the ball substantially uh, uh, with the population that we're most concerned about here in this conversation. Yeah. 
I and, love that idea. I, yeah. I, I, I have shades back to um, m- many years ago. Uh, we hired, and it wasn't while I was at this company, it was at a different company. We hired an intern, and this was somebody who was just a freshman in college, right? Hired an intern over the summer to come help, learn the business, whatever. The first day, he drives up in this beautiful new BMW, and my boss turns to me and said, there's nowhere to go but down, you know? So, so make, right. I mean, I don't, right. He has a lot of disappointment in, ahead in life is what, what his <laughs> phrase was. And um, I do think uh, you're right that, that there's no, uh, those practical things. I mean, you know, we learned stuff like <laughs> back in middle school, like that was part of, it was home economics and, you know, how to change a tire, like a basic living skills. And I and those programs have all been cut from the schools. And I do agree, like those would be really critical and would help people to be able to stand on their own two feet and, and use their money more wisely and create less stress for themselves, well, just, which translates into better performance and happier life. You know, I mean, the entire world is set up to instantaneously separate you from your money. Um, you, know, you know, just think about, think about e-commerce and how painless transactions can be, yeah. uh, seemingly painless transactions can be with one click of the button, you buy the stupid thing off Amazon and it shows up on your door two days later, or yeah. you sign the, the seemingly good, the good car, car uh, 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 loan terms to have, a, to have a balloon payment or whatever it may be. I mean, there are plenty of people ready to separate you from your money due to your own, due to ignorance, your ignorance regarding how these things operate. Right. So to give yeah. people the chance of being able to navigate it when they enter adulthood, would be a, a, a wealth, I think a, a money worth spending. Um, and, and let's not miss the point that, that this is not an issue that's relegated to the $15 an hour individual. This is financial maturity and, and it deals with every economic class that there is. I mean, we've got, you know, $20 million a year athletes that are going bankrupt within two years after their career ends. So uh, it, it may be worthwhile to really look into classes within the workplace if yeah. education is not going to do it to do something like that. Yeah, that's a, that's what I was sort of thinking about, Ron. I, uh, you know, um, oftentimes it's been sort of left to your own devices to kind of get a financial planner and people who don't have uh, a lot of money or are are living paycheck to paycheck think, well, I can't afford a finance. And what would I have them plan? I don't have any money. Like there's this thought instead of understanding that part of what they do is help you make the most of your money. How do you live within your means? How do you not accumulate debt? How do you take off this worry? Right. And, um, and that would be a, a phenomenal thing for an employer to do. That would reduce a lot of stress because that stress and that financial worry has a direct correlation and impact on performance in the workplace. Oh, yeah. And they're focused on making sure that they're getting those bills paid, not necessarily what they're doing in their you know, job. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and how they pay their bills. So exactly. yep. two anecdotal examples, one couple that, that we're trying to help, they needed $800 to fill their oil tank. Well, 
the fact is the financial counselor said, no, wait, you don't need to fill the entire tank. In other words, that's only going to create other issues where you can't pay your phone bill or whatever the other alternatives are. The other example is the Christmas lift list of one of these families came back and we had the little boy in the family and he put on his Christmas list that he wanted a $500 Xbox. Now, I don't think he was being greedy. I just don't think he understood when somebody said, Hey, these people want to help you what you want for Christmas. He immediately went with what probably every kid wanted. And, and so those are the kind of financial maturity issues I think we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I think in kind of summing up for employers thinking about in the workplace, like more education, I think, is something we're agreeing on in the workplace and having um, advisors or somebody available to help every class of employee live um, and make their money work for them. Because as we said, financial well-being is about managing your money well. And so thinking about it from that standpoint and putting those in. Yeah, the last little bit I uh, like to throw on is having the pay conversation. Managers hate it. Like having this conversation about pay is sort of like taboo and some, but between the manager and the employee. You have to understand there are ways to have that conversation and understand what their what are their financial needs for that family. Are they worried? How do I help you get there? Like if you need more cash, I can't just give you more cash for doing the same job. But how do I help you grow to get to where you need to be or where you want to be? But you 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 need to have that conversation. With that, I think we've covered a few things, a few takeaways for employers maybe to start thinking about with regard to their their population. And so next time, join us. We'll, we've got two uh, pieces to talk about. We'll talk about social well-being, which is the, the fourth one. And the fifth is then community well-being. And that'll round out our well-being series. So thanks again for joining us. And we'll catch you next time. And thank you all for tuning in. Staying on top of compliance today can be the source of great concern and frustration. Our dedicated team of attorneys and experts look around the corner on your behalf and deliver the tools, education, and resources needed to help you plan for the future and protect your employees in business every day. You can access additional resources, employer advisory sessions, and podcasts on our website, onedigital.com. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time.